Welcome to the first episode of the Heartland Pod for 2022. January 3rd, 2022 Heartland Pod, we're going to talk about the fires in Colorado, the one-year anniversary of the Capitol attacks is upon us, media's coverage of Biden, and particularly the way headlines are used, a little Russian roulette, and our 2022 races to watch. Plenty to talk about, so let's go. Welcome back to the Heartland Pod. My name is Adam Summer, and I am your host. It is great to be back with you. This is our first new episode for 2022. First recording for several days. Had a wonderful set of holidays. Got to really spend some family time, and it was really, really nice. Uh, spent some time and just kind of reflect on a 2021 that was, you know, for for as much as as I want to say it was a horrible year, there was actually some really good stuff that happened in 2021. Partly, I had a new kid. That was cool. Also, this show just took off like wildfire. So uh, we're back to do it again, and we hope to continue the growth that we saw. We just got our final numbers in for December, uh, and we're talking about, you know, when I say it took off, uh, December 2020 compared to 2021, uh, 4.5 times the listeners in 2021. Okay. It took off. All right. It went nuts. Uh, thank you to all of you who have shared this show, who have sent it to somebody who have said, Hey, you got to check this out. Cause that's how that happens. By the way, we're not paying for advertising. We're not promoting the show out there in some crazy way, right? We're using basic free social media, mostly Twitter, the exposure through different guests and whatnot. But it really comes down to you folks just saying, hey, check this show out. Uh, I think it's worth listening to. So thank you very much. Uh, We really, really, really appreciate that. I'm coming off a little bit of a sinus infection, so excuse the voice. I think it's almost back, but hey, uh, we do what we can. Uh, in case I haven't said it yet, I am Adam Summer. I am your host. For anybody who is new, it's it's 2022, so let's a little intros, right? Uh, I am a lawyer in West Central Missouri. I am a trial attorney by trade. I've got a couple of kids. I have a wonderful uh, wife who is in education. Uh, we have a special needs daughter. And at the end of the day, there's some really important stuff out there to me and to our family. And it got me uh, refocused on politics. I've always been focused on politics. I'm a lawyer, a political science major. So politics has always been part of my life, but refocused me in a way that pushed me toward the game a little bit more. And uh, so I wanted to get in and this was a way that I could do it. It was a way that fit what I had available to me from a time and, and talent standpoint. And so this is what I'm doing. I have some friends who have joined me along for this ride. Sean Diller and I kind of kicked this off together uh, as a joint venture. And, uh, so here we are, and along the way we've picked up some wonderful old friends, some wonderful new friends, and we're bringing you all sorts of shows. Uh, 2022, you're going to have from us the Heartland Pod, this version on Mondays. You're going to have the chats that I'll bring you as many times as I can. You'll have the Delta from Nicholas Linky, the science-based show. He is a science teacher. Uh, you will have High Country from Sean Diller, which will focus on the, the western part of of the heartland politics and we will have the flyover view every single friday with sean and kevin and really it's kevin and whoever's available but uh sean is sort of the default there uh kevin smith who is a dad out in uh, the st louis area it's a great rotating cast of shows and we're adding a new one and it's happening and i'm putting it out there into the ether so now it, it has to happen so rachel when you listen to this you can let me know rachel parker is going to bring us a show it's going to be her specific show And I think you're going to like it a lot. 
I think you're going to like it a lot. I know I already like just the concept of it, so I think it's going to be great. Reminder, you can follow us on social media, Twitter at The Heartland Pod. You can find us on Facebook by searching the same. Uh, go to our website, heartlandpod.com, and click on the Listen Now button. You can listen on the Adoria service over there, or go to our website uh, to click on the Patreon button. Special features by being a Patreon subscriber. At 5 bucks a month, that's all it takes to be a Patreon subscriber. Special features including this week we're going to have a last call about Josh Hawley. We're going to have the Heartland News, our blog space, which we've done several posts to. This week that's going to have a post from Rachel Parker. It's going to have my post, uh, which will be my open that's coming up in just a minute. Uh, So that's three things of exclusive content in that space just this week by being a member over there. Remember to please subscribe to the podcast Uh, if you haven't yet. Please do that. If you haven't, give us a rating and a review. Please do that. Five-star ratings, especially on Apple, really makes a difference. Remember to share the show. Like I said earlier, please do check out and consider the Patreon support. It's helping us to just upgrade things a little bit. We're not, you know, all of us have day jobs. Again, the support that you would give us on Patreon is just to keep the show operating and letting us bring you more stuff. Uh, That's really what it's about. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you for an awesome 2021. And off we go into 2022 with my first opening statement, reading between the bylines. For many years, Fox News has worked hard to convince its viewers and radio listeners that it was fair and balanced, that they would report and we would decide, that every other source of news was just a left-wing, biased garbage heap known as the mainstream media, the MSM. Never mind that Fox News is one of the biggest and most watched news networks in America. Like all good propaganda, the facts are irrelevant to the story. It isn't about Fox News or MSNBC, for that matter, and the smoldering heap of whatever the hell CNN is now. Now, this is about a smaller, more insurgent version of propaganda. On December 30th, the Washington Post published an opinion article by a writer and a lawyer named Henry Olson. You've probably never heard of Henry Olson. I hadn't. Henry's bio is on the Washington Post site. It says that he's a columnist focusing on politics, populism, and American conservative thought. Seems simple enough. Except the real information is, it's a couple of lines down. You see, Mr. Olson is a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Kind of an innocuous sounding place, right? Well, you can go to their website. And what the short bio omits is what the Ethics and Public Policy Center is. Mind you, it isn't a secret. You can go directly to their website, and on the front page, it's spelled out in simple, unmistakable language. This is a direct quote from the front of that website. Founded in 1976, the Ethics and Public Policy Center is Washington, D.C.'s premier institute working to apply the riches of the Judeo-Christian tradition to contemporary questions of law, culture, and politics in pursuit of America's continued civic and cultural renewal. Mr. Olson's contention is that Senator Josh Hawley, the soon-to-be senior senator of Missouri, regardless of his domicile, it may seem, cannot be dismissed as a force for change in the American conservative dogma. That Hawley's rhetoric is unpopular with party elites in D.C. because the challenge is to the status quo, to corporatism, in favor of a light brand of national socialism. He concludes his opinion with a comparison between Hawley to President Theodore Roosevelt. Now, the last part, comparing a man like Josh Hawley to Teddy Roosevelt, is, well, it's hilarious. Teddy Roosevelt's one of the loudest, most mainstream, progressive political voices of the early 20th century. His point is that Hawley's challenge to the GOP looks like the challenge that Teddy gave to the GOP. He's completely and utterly wrong. Teddy Roosevelt 
would laugh Josh Hawley out of the room. Teddy Roosevelt would tell Josh Hawley to lick his boots, and he would. Teddy Roosevelt is no Josh Hawley, and Josh Hawley is no Teddy Roosevelt. But let's move on to the reason that this matters. It omits a vital point, which is that the party didn't continue to follow Roosevelt. So much so, he began his own party. My personal favorite, by the way, American political party, the Bull Moose Party. It was a progressive party with a progressive platform. Not that Roosevelt may seem all that progressive to some in 2022 now, but over 100 years ago, he was indeed just that, a progressive. Josh Hawley is far from that. So there is the comedy, because Josh Hawley is the antithesis of Teddy Roosevelt's progressivism. Teddy's new nationalism was about a strong federal government focused on the welfare of the people, a vision his cousin executed well about 30 years later. But it is far from this language of American renewal called for by folks like Hawley. The very words, the idea of American renewal, a return to the ideological and moral behaviors of a bygone era, that by doing so we can bring about a renewal for the Americans left behind by technology, it is not rooted in any historical progressive writing. And when paired with the endless and pointless attacks on Marxism, used only as a boogeyman in an attempt to label all things on the left as communism, to invoke the ghost of a Cold War and the Russians of old war movies... It deviates further from anything similar to anything Teddy Roosevelt ever said, anything progressive by far. In fact, those who have spent any time studying not just the battles and military stories of World War II, but the transition of post-World War I Germany to the rise of power of the Nazi party, the language used to draw support, can see not only a connection, but a nearly direct quotation happening here. So often we get lost in things like Band of Brothers, and we think about that as World War II and that version of the Nazi party. But they existed for a long time before the final solution, before the war. The language on the Ethics and Public Policy Center page, the words that Josh Hawley are using, they are a softened version of the renewal promised by Adolf Hitler. A need to end the excess of personal autonomy and choice, something Hawley talks about often in favor of the re-implementation of a particular brand of behavior and moral standards. This, paired with attacking tech giants and decrying the Marxist fables, is an Americanized version of the promise of German renewal. And I'm not trying to say that Mr. Olson or, or Senator Hawley are Nazis, okay? I don't want to be hyperbolic here, but I can't ignore the language. In a paper from 1988, Donald J. Dietrich, a professor in the Department of Theology at Boston College, wrote the following abstract for a research paper about the Nazi rhetoric. It says, quote, applying interactionist and social behaviorist principles to historical data, this analysis of Nazism suggests that Germans were attracted more by Hitler's stress on national renewal and his attacks on Marxism than by his anti-Semitism. 1988, that paper was written. Now, the professor's own motives may have been, as an apologist, he has some connection to Germany, but the point he makes is salient. The Nazi party in the 1930s was largely very different from the one we learn about in high school history in our war propaganda films and shows. It's easy to be clouded by the atrocities that Hitler's party and government were responsible for when even trying to examine the origins of Nazism. But the core of the party's rise to power was not the final solution. It was a country in chaos, people clinging to life rafts of hope, looking for something, someone, anyone to make them feel powerful again, to make them feel the hope, not of a sense of equity and justice, but of pride in their very country in existence, a justification for nationalism. 
Mr. Olson is paid to promote an agenda of national renewal in the face of economic, social, and political turmoil. Josh Hawley is the face and voice of that agenda. Thankfully, today, it is not working the way that they want, but that doesn't mean that it can't, particularly if folks don't heed Mr. Olson's words. Don't dismiss Josh Hawley. That party got right. But the stuff about Roosevelt? Well, Mr. Olson, do us a favor and stop trying to claim that the new nationalism espoused by Teddy is anything like what the Ethics and Public Policy Center or your poster boy, Josh Hawley, are saying, because they are not even close. Kind of like Josh's home and the state he supposedly represents. Talking Politics. Welcome back to Talking Politics, our first session of 2022 and... Our first session with the whole gang in a few weeks, so it's great to have everybody back. Adam Summer here uh, had a wonderful New Year's and Christmas holiday, and I am sipping on some Tanzanian pea berry coffee f- straight from Ozark Mountain Coffee Company. Shout out to those guys. Not a sponsor. We don't have any of those, but if I did, I would. Uh, th- they would be a great one. Sean Diller is back. Sean Diller, how are you doing, and what you sipping on, man? I'm doing well, doing well. Thanks. It's, you know, we're recording in the morning. We've never really done that. So yeah. absolutely, I didn't have time for anything more creative than Costco coffee, although yeah. it's freshly brewed today. <laughs> I know. We were, this is like something that people aren't going to get, but used to, we always tape on Sundays and we used to tape Sunday evenings fairly late. And so, but then the coffee was cold. Now the coffee is always going to be probably fairly warm, yeah. I assume, now that we're taping in the morning to accommodate Sean's daddy schedule because yeah. he's got two two children, yeah. three and under now, and so uh, which is fine with me. I love that you guys were like, "Is it okay with you?" And I was like, "I, why do you think I'm ever up any later than seven? Like, you just know us. that like just the body fault. doesn't sleep past seven once you hit a certain age. Just so you know, it doesn't matter what time you go to bed. Um, so yeah, so we can't make any more cold coffee jokes. Yeah, it's over. Yeah. So how is it's, life of of being a dad of two now? It's really awesome. Being a dad of one was really great. You know, we got some snow. It's been super cozy. We had our second daughter on the 13th of December. So it's just been great. But yeah, you know, the Disney's Encanto, you said. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, you know, when Manuel Miranda. Right. Yeah. I think uh, I've watched it four times in the last five days, which means sure. I've cried 12 times in the last five days. Yeah. No, those movies are powerful. They they get you pretty hard. So how are things? Uh, you guys got some snow, but you got some other stuff going on in Colorado. But real quick before we jump over to Rachel, how the, how are the fires? Are you guys safe? Everything good? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But there was Colorado's most destructive fire came yeah. through the Denver metro area and Boulder County just a couple of days ago. But we uh, blessedly got six or so inches of snow right uh, a day or so after. So things nice. are cooled off. Yeah, very good. Rachel Parker, how are you doing? What you sipping on? I'm just going to say, like everyone now, uh, here's what you're going to hear me say most of the time on the podcast. Coffee. I don't know what kind of coffee it is. It came in our CSA. That's the, I, I, I've known I've said this before. The only difference I have with you millennials is your weird, nutty, fruity coffee. I like, like coffee to taste want like... coffee to be coffee. Yeah. I do. I want coffee to taste oppressive. Yeah. And I want it to taste like a little bit of punishment. I want to be reminded that the Native Americans thought it was some kind of medicine because of how badly it tasted. They were mm-hmm. like, well, this... This must be good for me if it's this crappy. They used to like feed it to their children because they were like, I don't know, it's like white man, what is in here? And the kids are just like wired and running around and couldn't sleep. Um, so that's first, what I'm sipping the first on. Tussin. Yeah. The first yeah, the first Tussin was here. Here, boy, <laughs> coffee. So I'm sipping on this coffee I got in my CSA, and it tastes like uh I think they would say it has notes of fruit, and I want my coffee to have 
notes of burnt toast, so I don't like it, Um, but it's working. And uh, I'm good. We had a fun, like, I don't know how he and I, I don't know how Elliot and I keep finding each other interesting. We were talking about that. We were both like, just like, all right, let's have a New Year's Eve party by ourselves. Let's just do it. Let's just do it like we were at a party. So we got like beer and stuff and hung out. And um, at some point in the late, like in the evening, because we actually did make it up till midnight. I was pretty nice. proud of us. We did not. Good job. Yeah, I know. I couldn't believe it. I was like, how are we up at 1.30? That's nuts. And we were like, it's so cool how we still actually just always like talking to each other. Like we should be. <laughs> By rights, he and I should be totally sick of each other. Every little thing we do should drive each other nuts. And we still just really enjoy talking just about the dumbest stuff about like, we have like a, like one of the secret love languages in our marriage is making fun of John Bon Jovi. I could go on about why it doesn't matter because no one else will get it besides us. It's the <laughs> ultimate inside joke. Um, so that came up, uh, and, uh, I will, I will, I will explain to you too in, in detail at some point, like why that is such a de- near and dear subject to our hearts. Um, but we talked about a lot of other things. We always talk about like politics and music. So it was like a fun, it was like a fun night. I had a good night. It was cool. Beautiful. Beautiful. I don't know how anyone could consciously record the song wanted dead or alive. There's so many things to say. So many things to Painfully say. Embarrassing. I just, so I many, <laughs> so many things to say about, uh, that video. You've never walked uh, the streets with a six string on your back. Um, a steel horse is what we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to someday. I'll make a playlist for the fans and the listeners of uh, like "Oh, Life's So Hard" when you're a rock musician songs, which started officially with Jackson Brown's "Running on Empty." He did a whole concept album about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as did Roger Waters. Right, the wall is about like, oh the fans and like this is this wall in front of Bob Seger. Like, Turn right. the page. Bob Seger. Here I am on the Journey. road again. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Journey. <laughs> oh, which if you watch that video of the song faithfully, the song is all about Steve Perry shaving off his mustache. Apparently, like now watch the video. Now that I've told you that, watch the video. And there's a moment where it's like, oh, when he goes in the road, he shaves off the mustache. That's what he does. He That's shaves one of my his favorite off. songs to karaoke by far because it's just such an absurd song to karaoke. It's so it's so treacly. So we will have. I will I, at some point. I will make a playlist and I will share at least with Sean and Adam why I think John Bon Jovi is one of the most underrated accidental comedians in the history of music. It's Sounds pretty like great. Like a good uh, Patreon post. It is. Let's, it is. Yeah. Let's uh, jump in uh, to some segments here and let's start with i think we've got a true or false here true or false true or false the one year anniversary of january 6th attacks will actually be the start of something positive as americans come together to commemorate and reject the attackers uh there was a tweet by bill pasquel jr Uh, 357 days ago, terrorists ransacked the U.S. Capitol, and hours later, 138 of 202, 68% House Republicans voted to make Trump a dictator. They tried to finish the writer's job and end democracy. Never forget it. So we're coming up on that. What do you guys think, true or false? This this anniversary is going to kind of crystallize folks together against the attack in a in a like a 9/11 kind of way. Rachel, go ahead. Oh no, I'm I need Sean first. I can't. I need uh, Sean first. Cool. Sean. Well, no, I'm glad you teed it up with the 9-11 reference because I think this is false. It's it's going to be as positive as Glenn Beck's 9-12 rally, which Oof. was built to attack the president and yeah. all progressives and Democrats. Yeah. Ouch. Glenn Beck reference. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's like, I, I don't see the positives. People who already knew America was important and democracy was worth fighting for, I think were appalled, but I don't, you know, I guess who was it? Mick Mulvaney who said, you know, this is new, or there was a tiny, tiny number of Republicans who, who kind of, yeah, who moved as a result of this. But I think that's, that represents the overall public too. You know, almost nobody has changed how they're thinking because of this. Rachel. Yeah. I'm going to say false too, for two reasons. One, I I'm never ever surprised anymore by the lack of engagement of most liberals um, because most liberals, uh, live fairly comfortable existences in this country still. So they often live next to other liberals. Correct. That's right. And they've moved away from their, uh, not liberal families. And so they think, well, because I, because I have these family members that live in like West Virginia or wherever, um, I understand, you know, what these people are like, these people, you know, uh, and the other reason is because the people who support the attackers still don't think, I don't think most liberals, by the way, understand that just how large the swaths of country are where the majority of people that vote there do not believe that Joe Biden is the legitimate president of the United States. Still, yeah. we're in the middle. I think we can officially say I heard people say during Trump that this might be a what you could call a cold civil war. Right. And I, I'm going to I'm going to double down hard on that. So. I think the the only thing that will be celebrated will be the martyrdom of the people that are in jail and being sentenced. I think there were close to 700 now that have been given that are that are on trial or have been indicted. Yeah. Those people will be regarded as the new victims of the aggressive north, right? Like, sure. you know, it was the in some parts of the country it's still called the war of northern aggression. Right. And now it's just more like slavery was just this magnanimous thing that we did for black people. Like, oh, we brought them over and we gave them lovely homes and they had great jobs and stuff. So those people are going to look at this at January 6th like this, like these people were just fighting for our country and how dare this this overreach of dictatorship put them in prison. So that's where we are. So, yeah, I think I'm going to have to go with the false as well. I want it to be true so badly. I want it to be true. But part of it is, uh, and I talk a little bit in the open about the absurdity of like Fox News attacking mainstream media when they are the mainstream media, but like also MSNBC and CNN, like I know how MSNBC is going to handle it, but the people who watch MSNBC don't need to be convinced. Fox News isn't really going to cover it much uh, other than like you're saying, other than the people that are being prosecuted in this sort of like looking at it from that angle and CNN uh, we were flipping through the channels on uh, New Year's Eve uh, trying to find Miley Cyrus and Pete Davidson, uh, which was harder to find than I uh, thought it was going to be, which was unfortunate. Um, I really like Miley Cyrus, and Pete Davidson is hilarious. But <laughs> I like Miley, too. I'm totally on C. Miley. I think she's yeah. great. I like Miley Cyrus, too. Yeah, she gets all kinds <laughs> of ass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Before we're, on Mi- we're on Miley, before we get off of it, um, look up her version of it from years ago. She did a version of Summer Wine. It's kind of an unplugged uh, yeah, with the band. It's, it's amazing. Sick. It's sick. It's so good. Anyway, all sorry, of her go ahead. little backyard recordings. Yeah. Yeah. Just, every beautiful. One of them is just like perfect. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, did her version of Jolene, was that ever on the pop charts or any kind oh, of God, charts? No, but it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Her cover of Just Breathe by Pearl Jam is so good. Okay, also watch her induction, Rock and Roll Hall induction fame speech for Joan Jett. It's awesome. Okay, yeah. sorry, we're done yeah, with anyway. Miley Cyrus now. So uh, Miley Cyrus fanboy aside, we're flipping through the channels, and I'm on CNN for a second, and they're doing a like top 10 stories or whatever, 
And it's basically like a VH1, remember the 90s type setting going on. So it's like the, you know, like the talking head will pop up and it's like so-and-so comedian with like the neon outlines around the, you know, shit. Absolutely. And they talked about January 6th and it had like goofy like music and like comedians like talking about January 6th. And it was just like, oh, what a day that was. <laughs> and I was just like, what? What? This is how we're handling January 6th, like a like a well, I, VH1 pop-up video? I think, first of all, it's because a lot of people in entertainment had have dealt with Trump, right? Like, right. he was an entertainer, basically, by the time he um, won the presidency. And because those people don't spend enough time, they tour the, the U.S., they tour, like, the, the, the Midwestern cities and stuff. So, again, they think they have sure. some exposure. And they're like, well, not everybody in the Midwest is like that. That's true. And they have this idea that the... Um, and I don't... Again, like, I don't know. We're still figuring this out, right? How coordinated was this? How much uh, were was there support for these people who were there? How many of those people were really there to instruct violence, Right. Um, I still think a lot of it was just like whoopsie doopsie. Like we didn't mean to like crash through these gates that were so poorly put together. It was, uh, you know, I've, I've seen better security at Lollapalooza in the nineties. Um, but I think a lot of the, again, like those people who work for those networks assume that a lot of these people are poor and right. like the, 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 you know, the, the, uh, sort of great unwashed of America. And they're not, they're not. That's one of the things that we've been really consistent about saying is these are middle-class people, many of whom had substantial means to get there right. during the middle of a pandemic. These people were renting private buses and stuff. These are not right. broke people. These are not, um, disaffected blue collar, former union, been laid off, like working in a coal mine people. Right. They're not, these are middle-class suburban people, mostly. Here's the one pushback is there was just, and it's on Politico, so take it for what it's worth, uh, but they just published a piece uh, today, came out this morning. Uh, the headline is, Poll, House's January 6th probe is popular even among many Republicans. 40% of Republicans in the poll approve of the special investigation. Now, 44% of Republicans uh, disapprove of it. Uh, 16% don't have an opinion, but 62% overall uh, are in favor of it. Very interesting. Very interesting. So who knows? It could be a long tide thing, but it's something to watch. That's for sure. I think, I think it'll be a little bit like the Iraq war. If we can if we can hang on sure. to democracy, if, we get, if we're lucky enough to hang on to democracy, I'm just going to keep saying that now for all these people that are like, well, yeah, yeah. dude, but uh, it could be regarded as like the, the biggest disaster that the Republicans sort of slept in the job and they had the information and they ignored it and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But that let's, could happen if we hang on to democracy. Let's move on to the next one on the list. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, the continued Chicken Little Sky is Falling coverage of President Biden. Uh, Rachel, you have pointed this out a lot, uh, and I just can't, like, now I just see it everywhere. It's so uh, ridiculous. It's so bad. It really so, is. It really uh, is. Yeah. And I feel, I like, whenever these kind of show up on our show notes, like, do you want to talk about it? I'm like, well, I'll feel better. I don't know if the rest right. of the world needs to hear this, but like, I'll I just, better. I, I feel like it is we're talking about because we're going into, we're going into 2022 and I think we're kind of yeah. framing right now, like what is 2022? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the one year anniversary of the January 6th attack. It's how are we perceiving President Biden, right? We've got the Russia stuff and we've got the races that are coming up. So 
But I think that framing how he's being covered is important because whether you agree with what he's doing or not, like there's a way that you can cover the information. Um, you know, Sean's shaking his head like crazy. Weigh in, man. Unmute. Let's go. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. I mean, Biden has some problems and the media smells blood in the water. That's kind of, you know, and everything right. just snowballs always. And, um, but this is how I know I nailed the topic because in order to start talking about it, Sean just goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, Amy Walter of the Cook Political Report with Amy Walter so, so uh, concisely and accurately said that the Democrats are, they have this huge expansive agenda that's represented by Build Back Better and they're trying to run on it. But their majority is so, so tiny. And right. so what what is talked about is the Democrats' inability to get things done. Right. And when you do talk to swing voters, like what they're wanting to see is action. And I think Joe Biden knows that. And he knows that he's going to be judged on the how the COVID panda, pandemic continues to unfold. Right. But, you know. Yeah, he needs to shake the narrative for sure. It is a problem for him. Right. And it's a um, snow globe at this point, and he's got to right, that up right. Big time. Yeah, especially thinking about Joe Manchin. You know, it's a snow globe. Yeah, for sure. That's funny that you brought up uh, Cook Political Report. I finally uh, uh, broke down and paid them money um, to oh, good. get access. And, send me uh, their password. <laughs> your password. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I will. Um, but it's funny because the the headlines there, like if you go to the presidential analysis. Uh, it's why 2022 rhymes with the previous four midterms. Okay. And then despite their accomplishments, a hundred percent, by yeah, the way, a hundred percent. Thank you. Despite their accomplishments, Democrats closed 2022 demoralized. That's the, the right. Headline. Thank you. And then the third headline, which is the story that Sean was just talking about by Amy Walter is Democrats build back better strategy puts democratic incumbents in jeopardy. So it's just bam, bam, bam. And this is like, one of the least spinny but those are also like yeah those are also not particularly right. spinny headlines those are very no. like here you go here there's not any i would say yeah there here is what is happening in yeah a short, yeah like, package as opposed to the one that i highlighted for this yeah no segment oh. uh, which is from the car go ahead go ahead go ahead rip it rip off the bandit. go so comp- so let, let's compare these two directly okay Democrats build back better strategy puts Democratic incumbents in jeopardy. That's Cook political. Report boom, solid. Boom. Here's the Guardian's version of basically the exact same headline. Dire end to Biden's first year as Manchin says no on signature bill. The word, the use of the word dire, dire, is such a freaking dire. Choice. It is such well, an editorial choice. And, and look, the Guardian, we get it. You hate Joe Biden. The Guardian hates Joe Biden. I Absolutely. understand. It's it's like he he represents. I think a lot of the. Uh, it's almost let's just gotten say, funny. It has right. kind well, of almost gotten funny. I was reading that Guardian article about Joe Manchin, and without substantiating it at all, they say that you know Joe Manchin announced that he was not going to vote for the bill, even though he did submit another version. Right. And they just went ahead and said the white house was clearly blindsided. Right. <laughs> was it clear? Yeah. Was it's in, almost one it's, year. They told us over and over and over. Every again. time you use the word clearly, it means you don't. Right. Yeah. Also, don't it's, do that. Th- that piece <laughs> is almost an editorial. Right. It's, th- it's this close to being an editorial. And I was like, 
Make it one then. Make it an op-ed piece. If you want to have an opinion, opinion. I think it's dire. I'm this writer. This is why I think it's dire. Like it sounds like something like somebody like I don't know, like David Sirota would have written or something. Um, Denver and what's that? (laughs) (laughs) What's that again? Sorry, Denver Zone. Was he from Denver? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I um, I don't know that. Yeah, his name always pops up as someone who creates ire, but I I never read deep enough to really know his background. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's don't. I think writer. he does. I think, I think he does good work. A state rep. Yeah, I think he does good. good work. Yeah, I think he yeah. does good work. Don't follow him on Twitter. Anyway, um, so when you read that article, it is a, it is when you take out when you scrub out those op-ed bits, it's basically the same one that everybody wrote that week, right. which is like the 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 headline should have read once again. Uh, mansion proves to be a significant obstacle to Joe Biden's Build Back Better agenda, right. or something like that. Like that was—that's really what the article says. Is that? And like, that's really what. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> See, when we record in the evenings, I've had all day to kind of like level off. Just, <laughs> right. just, that's just why, plug that's why in the. I think this is going to be more fun. Yeah, I just maybe what you need is like some sublingual caffeine that you can just like stick on the bottom of your mouth, like before um, we even start recording. Is I should not know that that exists. I don't think it does. I'm saying it should. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, what what the Amy Walter headline says is what you're saying. You know, their strategy of packing everything in and then putting all their attention on the politics in a literal sense of what is Joe Manchin, how is he going to vote? And same with cinema. You know, that's the strategy that's putting incumbents in jeopardy because it might cause them to fail to pass the bill mainly. And also, like, most people don't, and I think that, you know, the editors of The Guardian and kind of the other sort of left-leaning uh, publications, so to speak, um, they know that readers don't have time to absorb nuance. They know that readers don't typically, I mean, we're, we do this because we would anyway, that we will immediately bounce over to, like, I think this is the year that I'm actually going to sign up for The Wall Street Journal because right. if there's anything that you can count on, it's that the Wall Street Journal is not liberal, right? right. I don't I don't think that they're as biased as everybody thinks they're. By the way, I think their their business coverage kind of is, but I think they're um like they're gonna say some pretty specious stuff about probably like, you know, inheritance tax and stuff like that. But like, right. is the Wall Street Journal a good news publication? For sure. Right. No question. And you know, the, they don't particularly have very grabby headlines because they've been subscriber based for so long. They've never, they've always had all their news behind a paywall. You don't click on the wall street journal for a headline. You click on the wall street journal because you want good information. Well, and most people don't click on wall street journal headlines because they know that they're going to be greeted with a paywall. So they've never gotten, so they've never really kind of gotten dragged into the sort of like the bait and switch headline of like, oh, it's dire. And you're like, this is the same story that Casey Starr wrote this morning about like what happened to the vote on the Hill this morning. Right. Um, I will say, by the way, that uh, my, 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 my fake friend, I have fake friends. And one of my fake friends is Ryan Grimm of The Intercept. He's their, um, he's their DC bureau chief. Uh, he's the not super compelling host of rising. Now, uh, I watched it a couple of times and I was like, this is not his thing, but my God, if you want to follow somebody on Twitter, if you want to listen to a writer who I think just like does the work and takes sucks all the kind of the, the hype out of what he's talking about, I think he's great. So I'm just going to put that out there for everybody. My fake friend, Ryan Grimm, follow him on Twitter. He's great. Well, let's move on to the next one here. All right, buy or sell. Uh, shit's about to get very real with Russia. Uh, some quick headline grab uh, on the Google machine. If you put in Russia, Biden, Putin, 
Uh, here are four headlines that you'll get uh, from Business Insider. Putin tells Biden U.S.-Russia ties could collapse over Ukraine sanctions. From Military Times, Biden-Putin talk nearly an hour as alarm rises over Ukraine. From CNN, Biden to speak with Zelensky as U.S. warns against Russian invasion of Ukraine. And from Politico, Biden-Putin call ushers in new phase of diplomacy. So a little hopeful from Politico there as opposed to the other ones. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, buy or sell? I, I'll, I'll kick it off. I will say I buy it. I think that, uh, frankly, I don't know. It may be smart for Biden to spend 2022 fighting against the the specter of Russia and and Putin and kind of using some American, you know, some Teddy Roosevelt big stick type language, I think could go a long way. What do you guys think? It's hard to tell how it'll be approached by the the Biden White House and the the State Department and things, you know, after seeing how Anthony Blinken like works. Right. Um, but I think you're exactly right that the Biden administration does understand that if this country is going to come together and solve some of the big problems, which is all President Biden really wants, it's going to be to confront the challenge of China or Russia. And, you know, when you think about how Trump operated in the White House and how Biden is, you know, honestly, I talked about my 1L year earlier. Now we'll talk about politics, political science 101 a gazillion years ago at Mizzou. It seems like almost normal statecraft by Putin because he's got a president who's going to be somewhat predictable. Right. He's got a president with a very fractured electorate at home. He's got this interest of undermining Western democracies. And Putin doesn't want, you know, Putin is actually fine with a war. (laughs) You know, Putin didn't want to deal with an unpredictable counterpart, but yeah. Right. Rachel. Well, I think this, like, if you could, you could sort of go back in a time machine and swap out some of these headlines for Biden and Obama, it's sort of the same problem, right? True buildup along the border. Um, Putin keeps wagging his finger at NATO. Like I told you guys, if you ever courted the Ukraine and they joined NATO, this was going to be on because he doesn't want the NATO borders encroaching anymore on the Soviet borders, particularly on that right. along that that edge. Um, and that is the beginning and the end of what I really kind of would say from an expert level, kind of understand about the situation. I um, I don't think Putin is particularly interested in in war actually because I think he knows that you know for, for all the coverage of I thought that for, like speaking of horrible coverage like the coverage I don't think Putin of, is interested in starting a war. But I don't yeah, think yeah, he yeah. would mind fighting a war that he didn't have to start. Yeah, I, I think he would be, I think he would, he would find himself to be, he's not as popular as people think that he is. Um, uh, there, there would be, there would be people that his, he's got tons and tons and tons of enemies and the country's so chaotic that I could, again, this is not my area of expertise at all, but I could see a Russia with oligarchs that are like, take him out right now. We'll put somebody else in. I don't give a shit. Like the guy's been in power for so long um, that I think that he probably doesn't particularly want his, their, their economy's way smaller than people think it is. He's not as powerful in Europe as people think he is. The The Trump years proved that the mainstream American media had no idea about how to sort of uh, contextualize Putin as an international figure. Um, he mostly makes money on arms deals with smaller countries. Um, so I think that... Uh, that Sean is right in that uh, Putin knows that he once again has a moment where he can flex a little bit because he's going to be dealing with a normal 
um, adult. And I remember Obama saying like after one of their summits where the, the, the photo was of Obama kind of leaning in and Putin leaning back and kind of turning his head away specifically when the cameras were shooting. So he'd look like, Oh, I don't need to like lean into this guy. Right. And so I think I, I can't remember where I saw Obama talking about this, but they said, what do you, what do you make of it? And he's like, this guy has a shtick. Right. And he's a very different person when he and I are talking alone than he is when the cameras are rolling. And as long as you, cause you know, Obama faced the same exact problem and we didn't go to war. Um, but I do think that like Russia, Russian, uh, American relations are terrible. Um, and my hope is that we really do need to stop calling Putin this like puppet master and like, no, Trump was not some operative for the Russian intelligence services or whatever nonsense got so popularized during his first two years. Uh, and that actually, uh, he, he was very like sanction heavy against Russia and, um, you know, experts like Noam Chomsky and stuff think we've never been closer to thermonuclear war with Russia. Right, so right. Uh, I think like it's it's exciting, at least that somebody's talking to him. But um, yeah. So I guess that means that I'm buying it, too. Sorry, I could have just said yeah. at the beginning. I could have no, just been like, bye. Just shut that's, up. That's about where I am, too, on it. I think that's that's right. And it is noting Noam Chomsky is is always worthwhile because this is a man whose specialty is linguistics. And so when he uses words like thermonuclear war, um, he's not, he's not just throwing words around, right? Noam Chomsky knows the effect and meaning and value of the words that he yeah, uses. And, and I'll say that too, like the fact that the, you know, ICBM treaties and stuff all dissolved during Trump's presidency. Um, right. that's and a big deal. that's a very big deal. And so like, would Putin care if, if he was safely ensconced somewhere else in the far East, um, whether it's the Caucasus or even further east than that, um, Cyprus or uh, any kind of anywhere, the guy's got so much money he could he could live anywhere he wanted in the world. Would he be bothered if a bunch of nuclear weapons landed and killed a bunch of Russians? Like, no, for sure. Right, like hand to hand combat, he doesn't want, but like missiles flying at the United States, he could care less. Right, for sure. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on to how optimistic that was. Let's end on that note. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, let's move on to the 2022 races that interest us. Let's just go in the order we have. Rachel, you're you're first on the list, so uh, you have done you did your homework. Good job. Um, and I Thanks. think that you you swallowed up some of the ones that I have too, so that makes it easier. I can just kind of co-sign. Uh, so kick, kick us off your 2022 races. And this is not totally comprehensive. This is just like, no, it's just really ones that, at. and uh, this one has my, my kind of, my kind of, Oh, Heartland stuff. Oh, Heartland. Oh, Heartland. Um, I Heartland. So I'll start out with one. I know Sean wants to talk about too, which is Sharice Davids, uh, in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the only Democrat that Kansas sends to DC and her, she won reelection, during the last campaign cycle by 10 points. Yeah, so she's she, a badass. I, she's a total badass. First Native American. Um, she, is she the first Native American in the House of Representatives? She was elected along with another Native American woman in the same cycle. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, certainly the certain the first one for Kansas. So her, she's facing some... Whoa, severe- whoa, breaking news, breaking news, because we're going to talk about this race in a second. Uh, holy crap. I'm on Twitter while we're doing this. So by the time the show comes out, this won't be breaking news, but it's breaking news right now. Get ready for this. Oh, my God. Marcus Flowers in the Georgia race against Marjorie Taylor Greene has just posted to Twitter. Marjorie Taylor Greene has been permanently suspended from Twitter. Wow. 
permanently suspended from Twitter. She's gone. Account suspended. It's all over Twitter, which means it's real. That's, That's crazy. how that works. Wow. Rachel's mouth is, uh, I've tried to use this before with her. She is a gas. She is a gog. Before she goes, that's an R plus 26 district. All right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So last week, um, we'll talk about Davis in a second. So last week I called on my notes, I called um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the paleo diet in human form, um, (laughs) suggested on Twitter that almonds and some dates. Yeah. And grass fed everything. I just eat grass. She just eats grass. so Marjorie Taylor Greene has been spreading misinformation about vaccines, even though she has one. Uh, and uh, she just uh, is, uh, I don't think she's crazy. I think she's actually really smart and knows what she's doing. And so she's last week, she suggested on Twitter into, a, again, that's a hot mic. If you're a public official, right? We talk about this a lot where I say like, Twitter's not real unless you're in right. office. Right. If it's someone who's not a real person that we know of, they don't have that blue check, who cares, whatever, ignore them. Don't, doesn't matter. But if it's a public official and they're speaking into a hot mic, we're allowed to hold them accountable for what they say on Twitter. It's very real. Um, And she said on Twitter last week that if people move from, quote, Democrat states, she can't even use the term correctly. She means states that have a, you know, basically like a liberal majority, um, that they should be forced to uh, enter what, what she basically called like a waiting period before they could vote. And she retweeted um, a guy named, uh, his last name is Perez. I don't know. He's some like far right troll that normally I would feel pretty comfortable ignoring, but like, because it's America right now, you can't because these people have like followers that are interested in utter disruption of the Republican party. And he said, basically like we need a divorce from blue state voters, which is a polite way of calling for civil war. And she retweeted him and then made her a little like, that's right. We need a cooling off period for Democrat states. And a bunch of us who live in red states who are saying to people, which we've been saying um, more and more, like if we're going to sort of save democracy, we probably are going to need people to relocate because that's it's not the only thing that will help, but it will help a lot if if the lessly populated, you know, Midwest and Mid-South, Upper Midwest, whatever, has more people in it. It'll be harder for Republicans to steal elections if that's what they're going to indeed do. And I think that's. I think they know that's kind of in the water. Like, I think they know that's a possibility, especially in her state. Um, so the outrage on Twitter on uh, right before the holiday weekend was pretty visceral because when we, when you're saying that to us, we're like, Oh God, that, that means they're going to completely try to um, disenfranchise like people that live in the city or people that live in swing districts and stuff like that. So the importance of taking her mic away on Twitter is, a very big deal, I think. I think that's significant. I don't even really know how to process it. I'm going to let Sean talk because <laughs> I don't really know what else to say. Yeah, no, it's good yeah. for it's good for America, and who knows whether she'll run again or something. But she yeah. should she should be kicked out of Congress. Let's be clear: like this is someone that it would be it would be unpopular. There would be some furor for a minute, and then everybody would forget that she's alive real quick. This, one thing is interesting: it puts. A lot of Republicans now it begs the question for folks like Josh Hawley and some of these people who think we need to break up the tech companies and who are always yeah. whining about their rights being infringed upon, even though they have every gift the world has to offer. Whining <laughs> is the right word. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, 
did Twitter make the right decision or, you know, should Marjorie Taylor Green be reinstated on Twitter? I think, you know, a lot of people should be answering that. Yeah. Wow. I say, anyway. I say no. I say, I'm so, I'm so, cause I was, I was going to write, I was going to talk to you guys. Actually, I was going to be like, should I, what should we say about this? What do we think? Cause I, I said my, in my own Twitter, I was just like, don't, don't snooze on this kind of language. She knows what she's saying. That's basically what I, what I tweeted. Cause I was so appalled. And then I had to look, go down the wormhole of figuring who this, whatever his name is. He's disgusting. Don't look him up. Whatever his name is. Uh, he's a horror show. He's a human horror show. Um, and the, the 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 coupling that somebody like Taylor Green is doing with vaccine hesitancy, kind of building on um, online conspiracy theories that are now real life conspiracy theories. They're not just online anymore. But this idea that the election was rigged. Joe Biden's not the president. This vaccine is experimental. Don't let them force you to take something. Don't let them experiment on your body is is building up a lot of steam and a lot of momentum. And I think it can be stopped. And I think a lot of it is situational because COVID is still such a threat and people don't know how to process it or handle it because they're not being supported by their elected officials on the right. Um, she is sort of in the eye of that storm. She's very good at manipulating that whole discussion. So when you're Twitter... I think that they have a moment right now in the so in the world that we're not really we're talking about this, but I mean, we are Twitter, I think is the one social media platform that's widely used around the world that I think has a leg to stand on. Yeah. I think they could become a much better platform and a much safer platform for just information to thrive instead right. of misinformation to be dangerous. So um, which is I'm, why it grew as to a useful place anyway, because you can go there and, and go, I want to, I want sports stuff. And you can just have a sports feed. You yeah, can you can basically build your, your RSS you feed. With, yeah. yeah, you can basically build an RSS feed for whatever kind of information right. you're looking for, in a sense. That's very and I think they know that the, speaking of chum in the water, I think they know that like uh, uh, TikTok is probably going to be plagued by the exact same kind of problems that plague Instagram uh, and the like the metaverse, the meta world. Um, meaning literally Facebook and that um, Twitter can just like whistle away from the, the inferno if they, if they play their cards, right. So yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's massive. I think it sends also for all the, for all the strum and drong of somebody like Josh Howley and all these other idiots we'll talk about in the last call. Um, I think that that should be seen as a warning shot across the bow. Cause they all know that these other platforms getter and parlor and, rumble and whatever they're not as popular because people love to fight with each other and so when you're just in this echo chamber of yeah. oh look we all agree with each other i mean on the right the left is used to arguing we're, we're all into it um when you take that power away from them they don't engage as much so those platforms aren't going to make any money so let's put the train back on the tracks because i took it off the tracks so that was the georgia race of marcus flowers and marjorie taylor green in which i don't have to comment on i just did it. i talked right. about it too much uh we like yeah. him i want him to be on the podcast we're going to reach out to you man we'd love to have you here i think you're so interesting I, your twitter game is solid i'm talking about marcus yeah. green. like He's a retired veteran, um, super interesting, super funny. His response to Marjorie Taylor Greene's tweet was, I want to divorce Marjorie Taylor Greene from Congress. And I was like, snaps, that's super smart. He came on it right away. And then just like blooded Twitter with um, campaign donation links. And I was right. like, oh, he actually knows what he's doing. How refreshing. So then as Sean pointed out, that was a, what was that, Sean? An R plus what? Yeah, it's plus 25 i think yeah 25 or 26 i'm trying to double check it right now but so yeah heavily heavy heavily lift. red district yeah heavy lift. 
So Sharice Davids, uh, she won by 10 points in 2020. So that's your the house races that you elicited, Rachel. So Senate. Yeah. So she she'll she'll be facing like there's gonna be a lot of talk about redistricting in Kansas oh, yeah, right yeah. now. So she's um, raised two million dollars though, which is really great. And she's super popular. She's really well liked in her district. So man, I hope she can hang on because I think she's such an asset to this country. She does such good work. She's such a great member of Congress. She should totally be in the Senate. I hope she hang on. She should t- Sean's not blink. Like if there's one. There's one Democrat. Oh my God. If there's if there's one De- Kansas, yeah. Be- if there's one Democrat that could theoretically win, besides Laura Kelly, maybe who we'll talk about in a second because she's on my list too. Um, I think there's a good chance that Sharice David could actually go to to the Senate from Kansas. So I just hope she hangs on. I'm going to give her money. I think she's awesome. Um, my Senate picks um, were aside from the uh, well, I'll, I'll go this one last. So I, I think Iowa's kind of interesting. There's this. Um, We'll talk about, I know Sean knows a bit about Amy, Abby. Finkenauer. 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 Not to be confused with Abigail Spanberger, who's on right. my list in Virginia. Right. Uh, so she is running against Grassley. Um, I mean, I think she's, I don't know that anybody's primarying her. I haven't looked into that. She seems like the presumed Dem nom. Um, Grassley is um, older than most of the members 88? of Congress. I thought he was in his 90s. Will he be 90 by the time it, the election hits? I think by the time he starts the the next term, he would be 90. Yeah. All right. So he's uh, so he's going to be. So I hope she gets to debate him. I hope she. we've also reached out to her to come on the pod. I hope she yeah, does. He's currently 88 years old. Born okay. in 1933. Uh, to be fair, Grassley's very interested in breaking up Big Ag. So I got to give him a shout out for that. He's He's been he trying. Is also well, he, awesome he on Twitter. Big Ag together. But yeah, that's good that he's now <laughs> breaking up the thing that he did. Yeah, he him. is. He's trying. It's probably just because he wants to get, you know, stay in good curry with. He, he also backed quickly away from it as soon as he met with a bunch of lobbyists. But right. um, but maybe he's also striking while the iron's hot. Maybe he's like, maybe this is a moment I can actually get some stuff done. Chuck Grassley is 11 uh, or nine years older than Mitch McConnell. That seems like impossible. I know. Like, how is that's that why, impossible? That's why I said it out loud, because I, I was looking at it right now and, on my computer screen. And I was just like, wow. Yeah. Um, we live in a gerontocracy. Let's not forget. Uh, and as far as the um, Missouri race, I'm calling it now. I'm just going to call it. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, if I had a, I may start a, uh, like a, like a thing, like a, like a, a betting thing. What do you call those? The, that exists. There's a website for that. Yeah. Uh, Hartzler is going to be, Vicki Hartzler is going to be the next Senator from Missouri. If she wins that calling race. It now. Uh, calling it now. I, I, I get so much, like just so much shine if she wins that race. Cause I, that was, yeah. Yeah. I'm calling it now. She, there was a poll that came out that was like, what do you think of these people? How would you, oh, yeah, the, the moral the, compass poll? Yeah. Yeah. Which was like kind of boring, but like most, which is, let's face it, it's probably That's women. A Missouri registered voters, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> which of the Republican which, candidates? Which of the Republicans are like an example for your kids? Yeah. And the only person to get above like 10% was Vicki Hartzler. And I was like, yeah, she's going to win. And she knows, like, she knows that she just needs probably at this point to get to like 16, 16 or 17% or something at this point 
to win the nomination. So she's just looking at that and she's, she's got so down. much she's money. Like totally. Person for a yep. while. Yep. Try to out Greitens Greitens. Yeah. Let those two come to blows. Let yep. Billy Long do his little bus tour. Yeah. She's going to swoop down to, to quote one of my favorite movies of all time. She'll swoop down with her bag full of money and take it right out from under us. And she's just going to go on and she'll, and she look to, she'll copy Schlafly. And she'll have her little like, you know, phone trees. She'll have her phone trees of like pro-life women that she calls out who are the most powerful voters in the country. Pro-life women are the most powerful votes in the country. Um, She'll get them. She'll do her like pro-life ads and her pro-America ads. And like, let's heal our differences. We all want to be Christian. That's what I mean by that. She'll dog whistle us to death and she'll win. That's it. Um, I hope that Lucas Coons is listening to this because dude, you need to start pretending like she's real. Stop campaigning against, uh, these other people. Yeah. Stop campaigning against Eric Reitens and start figuring out how the hell you're going to speak some semblance of language that will compete with, um, a well ensconced, very powerful Missouri lawmaker. Seriously, dude, get it together. I'm not even kidding. I hope you win, but dude, come on. Uh, my governor's races, Laura Kelly, Kansas. Same. Woo! It's a big one. It's a really big one. What do you think, Sean? It'll be tough for her to win re-election, I think. I think it's be very tough. Yeah. 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 Which is a shame because she's um and she's like, you know, if you were reading about Laura Kelly and you lived on the coast and she, you know, kind of leaned in a little bit to the right message of, you know, COVID mandates and well, they have their own mandates. Schmidt over there. They have Derek Schmidt, not to be confused with Eric Schmidt. So sick that they spelled have the same wildly last name. different, but uh, it, yeah, it's spelled different, but same idea. And he's indistinguishable, by the way, as like sort of a policy guy, right. their same, attorney general from ours. Same idea, um, yeah, same idea. And he's so. been fighting her. So at least in our state, our two idiot chief executives are kind of in sort of lockstep. Yeah. Like Eric Schmidt's basically running the state of Missouri is what's going on right now. Um, at least in Kansas, like Laura Kelly is running the state, but she has been uh, in the rifle sites of her Republican dominated state legislature the whole time she's been in office. She can't get Medicaid expansion done. Um, yeah. And uh, so Cookins I, and Sabato both have that one as a toss up. So, okay. And that's for uh, people who don't know Sabato. We, I guarantee you'll hear that uh, word a ton. Uh, Larry Sabato from Virginia. Uh, get used to that name, his crystal ball and the cook political report. Those two together are pretty powerful pieces of information. Um, yeah. And I'll let you guys go. Cause we've been going for a while, but my, um, the other race that I just, I just want to bring up cause I hate her so much as KIV in Alabama. Uh, KIV is the living <laughs> example of why, whenever people say that like men want to control women's bodies, I would point to her and be like, the women also into it. They're the whole pro-life movement was started by women. Um, men joined the pro-life movement because women told them to. And right. it's uh, the Kate, 21st century version of the temperance movement. To, oh, absolutely. A hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. And stuff and suffrage. Nobody likes to admit that, but right. they're, they're tied together. And uh, yeah, KIV signed one of the most uh, oppressive and almost like shockingly violent abortion bans uh, early in the Trump administration. I believe it was thrown out pretty quickly, uh, but she'll be back again. And uh, I think she's the first female governor of Alabama um, yeah. and she's awful. I'm she's probably going to get reelected. Uh, oh, yeah, she's a horrible, sure. she's yeah. a horrible, 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 awful, horrible, horrible, horrible human being. Sean, who do you um, got for us? What races? So I am looking at the United States Senate race in Ohio. Rob Portman is yeah. a somewhat moderate Republican. 
in the John Kasich mold, literally. I think they have a mold for these guys. Yeah, uh, yeah. Norm he comes Coleman right out of it. Got out of the mold too, but with bigger teeth. Uh, that's a throwback <laughs> reference to Minnesota's Norm Coleman. Um, but <laughs> so Deep Tim Ryan's cuts. running for Senate in a in a state that Trump won twice and that Obama and Biden won twice before that. He's raised five million dollars. He is a in the presidential primary for Democrats. He was known as a as one of the moderates, but I think he is an economically progressive, working class focused sort of legislator in the Sherrod Brown model, right? which is also a, a United States Senator from Ohio. So that'll be really interesting to see what happens. You know, Trump is going to really drive what the primary looks like in that state and already has with the kind of a Trumpy clone, right. um, you know, or maybe a few Josh Mandel and others running on the GOP side. So, but, you know, Ohio statewide, they voted for Trump, but they, they have sent guys like, you know, um, Rob Portman and Sherrod Brown to the Senate. So that'll be super interesting to see what happens. Also, Ohio just um, did redistricting. And I think the Republicans really took advantage of their, their power in that process. So there are fewer competitive districts and that'll also be at, at play. So that one's super interesting to me. Um, Same with Pennsylvania Senate. You know, that's one of the Democrats' few kind of flip opportunities. That Ohio, of, Pennsylvania. Yeah, that was one of mine as well. So I'll tell you. Yeah, I just said Pennsylvania in, in general because they have they their governor's seat is going to be is also open. And so there's going to be that's a really interesting. Yeah. In fact, for all the for all the when everybody was like, oh, Virginia is the real bellwether. I was like, no, it isn't. Pennsylvania is like, stop talking about like, who cares about Virginia? I mean, I, I people that live in Virginia care about Virginia, but like the nation, if you're going to pay attention to any statewide races and you want to know how America works, I really think that Pennsylvania is a yeah. fascinating case study for it sure. Really is, yeah. Yeah. And, so. and uh, the White House and the National Democratic machine is definitely going to want to reinvest in Pennsylvania as they've been doing since right. they won it back from from Trump. So that's going to be I mean, I, I hate to say like as well they should. There's someone running, um, I just forgot his name. He's the lieutenant governor right now. He's running for Senate. Super interesting guy. Fetterman. Yeah, Fetterman. if they don't yeah. if they don't support if they don't if the if the national democratic uh body doesn't get behind him, then they he's, are he's got a very like almost like a Ron Paulian type following from the left where like he's got this group of very devoted people who are just like the moment that this guy wants to run for president. I'm he's very blue collar. Like he yeah. kind of reminds me of Jesse Ventura in Minnesota. Like there's this kind of this, like for all like people, people think of like Jesse Ventura as a, as a figure, he was a very sort of like moderate governor. Right. Um, he right. was definitely kind of a, a consensus building candidate. And that's who this guy reminds me of in a way where he's just yeah. like very, very pragmatic, sort of under like very kind of straightforward. He's really pragmatic kind of is the right word. Yeah. 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 He's not super salty. He's kind of just plays it straight, car, keeps his cards close to his chest. He's an interesting guy. So he's been basically working class the whole time. Like I right. can't remember what town right. he lives in or what yeah. you know, kind of like yeah. tin roofed shack his yeah. office yeah. is in. But it's from part of the country, you know, that mirrors the the other areas that have seen a lot of economic decline. Right. And you know, he's not he's not trying to convince people he has working class roots. He, he never is. Right. He never left. Yeah. So, and so, and, and build back better is incredibly popular in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So what else you got, Sean? I got Abby Spanberger, as I mentioned before, she seems like someone who has uh, not come out on top of the redistricting process in Virginia. The map is not final yet, as far as I can tell, but right. even though anyone who follows politics and especially progressive democratic sort of news and conversations have 
has been hearing about this this congresswoman for years now. She won in I think 2018. She's a ex CIA operations officer. Yeah, she is a lot like Lauren Underwood Underwood in Illinois. Um, you know, a woman who won in a Republican held district before. And so yeah. in redistricting, she looks like she's going to have to make a choice between running in a uh, a new district that she you know may not live in or running against a Republican. And so that'll be really interesting to see where that that goes. And you know, it always bears repeating the United States House of Representatives is controlled by a Democratic majority of like three or four members. So of these 435 right. seats, it could be Nancy Pelosi or Kevin McCarthy holding the gavel based on Yikes. how a couple of races shake Break out. Then, yeah. So I've got uh, some governor's races that I think are wildly important. Oh, um, can I add one more? Really yeah, fast. go ahead. Yeah. I've mentioned it before, so I won't go into depth. Colorado's eighth district. It's a yeah. new district from our growing population. It's a Hispanic influence district. It has, I think, 30% or more voters are from Hispanic or Latin descent. And it's like plus three for Democrats. Um, which is so, when you'll go way deep into on high country, high country which folks yeah, should absolutely. be looking for. Yeah, so, that'd be awesome. That's it. Uh, so governor's races to highlight. Uh, Michigan uh, is going to be a big deal. So basically, all of the states that were super questionable in the 2020 election, the governor's race is also super hot and important. So we've got uh, Whitmer running again in uh, Michigan, uh, and there's just a ton of Republican candidates. The primary there is so thick, it's impossible to tell what direction that's going to go. The Georgia governor's race where Stacey Abrams has declared. And interestingly enough, uh, if you Google these, like if you just Google like Michigan gov race, Georgia gov race, uh, Arizona gov race, right? So I could pull up information on all of these. Uh, Abrams is the only one where the first Google result that comes up is her act blue. And then the second one is the 538 about the race. And the third one is the Wikipedia. All the rest of them, the Wikipedia comes up first and there's nothing about the actual candidate. So tip of the cap to the Abrams folks over there for doing uh, good work. They're so like her, her, she always picks the best teams. I, she like, she should do like, as soon as she stops saving Georgia and the country, um, from the perils of whatever the Republican party is now, she should give master classes and how to put together election teams. Like yeah. she's so, so good she's at good. it. She's good. So that same thing over there where the, on the Republican side, uh, they've got quite a show. They've got Purdue and Kemp are kind of the two big voices that we all know. Uh, but there's, there's this Vernon Jones who used to be a Democrat and then became a Republican and has been in the state, uh, house, uh, and some other names. So it's going to be an interesting race over there because, you know, I, Brian Kemp uh, is going to get attacked by Trump. I mean, he he's going to get attacked. Not just like, I don't like him. He's going to get attacked by Trump. It is, so it's, it's a very, right. very interesting. I think that'll primary. be the main dynamic of the race. Right. That right. primary. Right. Yeah. I think the two races that people are going to be obsessed with is not going to be Pennsylvania, which it should be. Everybody should be obsessed right. with Pennsylvania. Instead, they're going to be obsessed with the Texas Beto O'Rourke governor's race. Right. Which um, everybody should do. I can promise you I will not. Yeah. yeah I know it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. It's sort of like stupid. And uh, and the governor and the Georgia governor's race and the governor's senator race. If, because you a, if you need a governor's race with a Southwest appeal, here's one for you. Arizona where current Republican Governor Ducey cannot run again, and there is a whole, again, a whole slate of candidates uh, that are lining up on both sides. And, and, and there's it's going to be super interesting, and it's and an important a, state. 
there's a very, very, very strong possibility that a Democrat's going to win there. That's right. That's right. It's super Absolutely. interesting. And yeah, then, I mean, go ahead. And then you can take that on to Wisconsin, right? Uh, not Pun not intended, but I'll take it. On Wisconsin, uh, we have a governor's race up there that's going to matter as well. So th- those are all governor's races to look at. Uh, Senate, we already talked a little bit about Missouri. That's the one that I'm watching the most for me. Um, and I agree. I, I've said this already. I think Hartzler is going to win the Republican nomination. I, th- I think it's going to be Coons versus Hartzler. I think that's where we're headed. Uh, and I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, House races, I'm looking at the Missouri 2nd and the Missouri 4th right now. I'm gonna, I'll expand that some into other places. And then also the current Illinois 16th, which is changing. It was Kinzinger's seat. He's not uh, running again. So that's going to be interesting to see what did their redistricting do, and do I, they is there a I, is there a Democratic pickup there I, in a Republican I, seat? I I think that he should. I can't. I, I'm so disappointed that he can't get off his ass and run again. Like for all the this is when I when I call well, people I, out. Like I think I think with Kinzinger, the problem for him is that he can't. Uh, he cannot pivot parties. He just can't. Um, he's too stuck as, but as a Republican, but he can't, he also can't square the circle of what it means to be a Republican right now. But I think, so I think that he should, go. like, who was the, who was the tea party guy in, uh, oh man, Wisconsin who tried to run for president as a libertarian. It was adorable. Like he was terrible, but he was the one that was the kind of the lone anti-Trumper in the house during Trump's God, first midterm. Oh, Justin Amash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So for all of the, like what really I find appalling about the tea party um, is that they did this whole, like America, the beautiful, like they're, they're going to take away your freedoms because of Obamacare and all this right. other nonsense is that when the chips are down, like I would be hard pressed. Like if, if the soul of the, if the soul of the party um, was up to somebody like Cori Bush deciding she was going to step away or go one more round. I guarantee you that woman would fight for her seat. I guarantee you if she were primary, she'd be like, yeah. I'm not going to leave St. Louis. I'm not doing it. And Amash bailed out, right? When right. when it, when he was like suddenly being attacked on all sides by Trump. And I, I it just really disappoints me that um, that these people don't have any more fight in them. I find it really appalling. Honestly, I really do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he withdrew before his general in 2020. So, yeah, I guess not not so courageous after all is Justin Amash. So, yeah, that's our list of races. Uh, quick update as we close out here for First Talking Politics of 2022. I put a poll out with the Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, is the suspension of Marjorie Taylor Greene a good thing? This poll has been out for the, what, 27 minutes that we've been talking about this stuff. Uh, it has almost 300 votes already, and the consensus is uh, yes, 88, 89.8% so far that oh, man. the suspension is a good Get thing. Get in there and so. vote, everybody. This train's <laughs> yeah. leaving the station. Yeah. Yeah. Bye, Bye bitch. Bye, bitch. <laughs> Bye, bitch. If you see about this, I know she's going to complain about it, but she can't complain about it on Twitter. Uh, uh, uh. Right, we're going to shift over to the last call and reminder for those of you who are not on Patreon. If you want to hear the whole last call, you got to subscribe over there. Go to heartlandpod.com and subscribe to Patreon, and you can hear the whole thing. Uh, but you'll hear a couple of minutes right now to kick us off. So we're going to shift over. All right, last call. We are here to talk about a very important topic, and it is one that I think we are very well suited to talk about as well. Rachel, you brought it up, so I'll let you give it to us, intro for the people, because I think we're going to have a lot of fun here. I do too. So, For the last I'll, call I'll, we have, go ahead. 
No. So for the last call, um, uh, we're all sick of Josh Howley already. Um, and he clearly thinks that he's got a stake it's actually on George Harley. George Harley. George Harley. Just to clarify that, go ahead. Sorry, it is I mispronounced his name. By the way, his name is either there's two ways that you can say uh quote unquote Josh Howley's name correctly. And that's either to call him George, George, George Horley, and say it like a like you like what you call someone who reluctantly made you use their nickname in college. Okay, George. <laughs> that guy, you know, like, oh, it's bear now. And you're like, no, it isn't. You're just Scott or whatever. But call, it's like that, like, oh, hey, George, like that. That's how you say it. Or you have to say it with the way that Lindsay Simmons says Joshua. Like, I, 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 I aspirationally <laughs> through her. Yeah. One of, oh, and the condescension and the like, the, I know that I'm better than you, bro, because I actually am a proper lawyer. She's all the things, it's like I've said, like, she is the things that he's. The Heartland Pod is a production of Midmap Media, LLC. Follow us on Twitter with at the Heartland Pod. With email, you can reach us, heartlandpod2020 at gmail.com. Online with heartlandpod.com. Subscribe and please sign up for our Patreon with patreon.com slash heartlandpod. Become a podhead or an official podgressive today and unlock all of our content. See you at the next show.